it may be that's some pretty deep functionality in itself, but it, it may be that they allow you to do that, that you're bidding a, a long-term project and you have an escalation clause that you can work mm. that in. But I did, I read this as just the labor rates given all the different projects you might be doing at all your different locations. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Before Microsoft started migrating all of their customers to Microsoft Dynamics Business Central and FNO, they had a similar strategy as Apicor or Infor with several products in their portfolio targeted to specific industry verticals. In fact, they'll sell products such as Microsoft SL even as of today. While they have announced the end of life for the SL products, some community members feel that the deadline is likely to be extended. They claim this as in their opinion, Business Central might not be the best migration path for SL customers and they are perhaps accurate in their assessment. This is because positioning a product designed for FMCG distribution may not be the best fit for companies primarily in the project-centric business. So where does Microsoft SL stand as of today? In today's episode, we invited a panel of industry experts for a live discussion on LinkedIn to conduct an independent review of Microsoft SL's capabilities. We covered many grounds, including their strengths in the construction and project-centric industries. Finally, we discussed why companies might have a hard time migrating to MS Dynamics Business Central once SL reaches its end of life in 2028 and why Microsoft may end up extending the deadline. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show for the first time. This is part of our industry series for which we every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, we pick one vendor or solution that we review independently. And we always have an expert panel uh, that typically discusses uh, the solution. So we are going to have a lot of fun debating that. For today, we have an exciting solution called uh, Microsoft SL. And this is sort of the legacy solution, but Microsoft is still selling that. So we are going to discuss the lifeline of that as well. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta. I am your host and principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Phil for his intro. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me, Sam. Phil Kerper, Managing Director of Ringling Business Solutions. We help executive leadership teams align their core business plans with their digital transformation investments and accelerating the plans and getting great returns for those investments. So really great to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Phil. Andy, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me, Sam. First off, I'd like to, I'm flattered the fact that I'm I'm on this panel with two other brilliant individuals today. And uh, anyways. <laughs> so we are going to have a brilliant show today, huh? <laughs> So let me get this straight. It's, all, it's going to be about brilliance. You called yourself brilliant by calling us brilliant. This is yeah. how you do it? Oh, my goodness. You're very yeah, subtle. Right, very baby. subtle. Anyways, my name's Andy, and I've been involved in ERP software for specifically for manufacturers of all kinds for the last 41 years, most of my life. I've uh, worked with manufacturers all over the U.S., all over Canada. I think two thirds of the U.S. states and about eight tenths of the in provinces, but you know, pretty good, uh, pretty good cross spectrum. And uh, 
I also help people when they're evaluating ERP software. I do a lot of research and I provide a lot of uh, insight and a lot of advice in regards to how to select ERP software. And again, thank you for inviting me. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. And, the, and if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys comment and uh, send your questions. Typically, we like to cover them during the show. If you cannot get to them, then our panelists are going to make sure that your answers on that note, I am going to start with a quick briefing of this uh, solution. And we are also going to provide a little recap based on the reviews that we have done for different Microsoft products. So Microsoft used to be similar sort of story as you have with your Apicor Infor app team. They used to have a lot of different solutions. You could pick any sort of combination of letters and then they'll probably have solution about that. Those many products they used to carry in their portfolio. That's probably the story of Happy Core. You mean ABC? ABC, CBD, CXC. Yeah, no you name it, what. man. <laughs> right, Andy? Okay. So Microsoft used to be that story, but since 2018, 2019, I guess, they realized and a lot of ERP vendors are trying to streamline their portfolio as well, just because maintaining all of these products is, is highly uh, inexpensive and risky. So most of the vendors are trying to sort of consolidate their portfolio. Now, there is always pros and cons of each of the approaches. When you are trying to consolidate, you are probably going to have slightly more generalized solution that is not going to work for these specific industries. So both approaches have the pros. And so Microsoft in their portfolio have had a lot of different solutions. And we reviewed, I guess, MD and, and you could remind me, I, I believe we have reviewed business central i think we have done fno gp as well so at least right phil yes uh, i think we're yeah we're, we're down to that we've done the majors that are their investment platforms and so now we're kind of doing the other ones that are still active around it's exactly exactly and sl has been a very different product in general in microsoft portfolio and the kind of you know places uh, it used to compete with it is still has very large number of installations and you'll be shocked the number of installations uh, that Microsoft SL is going to have. Uh, so overall, from the product footprint perspective, I would think that this is probably going to be uh, comparable with Microsoft GP, the way the product architecture is, the kind of you know market segment it captured. The difference between your GP and Microsoft SL is going to be SL targeted different industries. So GP was a slightly more accounting solution it had very strong procurement. It was slightly more, uh, you know, distribution-centric, as well as not-for-profit. SL was more towards construction, professional services. That's where SL used to play. SL still has very strong footprint in those industries. Microsoft is trying to move all of those GP, SL, and there is another one, guys, that I have never heard of that one. I think it's called C5 or something? C5, right, Phil? You're making me feel better because I didn't know what it was either. <laughs> I, I've never heard of that one. <laughs> so it seems like they have like 70,000, 70, guys. It's not one seven, seven, three, 70,000 installations in Denmark. Uh, you know, so that's how powerful Microsoft products could be. Well, uh, and remember back in the, and some of, some of the folks on, that are watching these shows are probably a little older in the tooth, a little longer in the tooth. But if you remember, it was called Solomon. Yes. And it had a very strong, very strong following back in those days before Microsoft acquired it. And I mean, it was, again, it was similar to GP in the fact that it was excellent for accounting, but it was very project centric, which lends beautifully to your construction. Exactly. And by the way, guys, SL is the abbreviation of the Solomon name. So Microsoft carried the Solomon name for some time. It used to be called, you know, Microsoft Navision, Exa. What is that? Exapeta? What, what is the name for X? Exapta. Exapta, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. And Microsoft SL was uh, Solomon, so they used to call that. And then they started having, you know, the car branding is what I like to call SL, XL, S4. These are all cool names, so Microsoft actually picked up on those as well. Yeah, but uh, now it's called F&O. I think that's swearing, isn't it? <laughs> 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 there goes oh, your brilliance. Your, your brilliance is already in decline. See, this show is going to be about brilliance, okay? So, okay, so coming back to that sale now. Uh, 
Uh, okay, so in this particular case, obviously, as Andy pointed out, that SL is going to be the, the solution that is going to be for the government contracting space, the construction and the professional services and the professional services companies that it used to target are not your traditional professional services. Okay, so when I say traditional professional services, in my mind, that is going to be your law firms, marketing firms, software development firms. Those are the mainstream professional services firm. Then you are going to have professional services firm that are going to be slightly more into design, manufacturing, architecture, construction. So when you talk about the engineering firms, the design firms, so those are the ones that used to really like SL because of its functionality. So overall in the value chain, just to sort of set the context, Microsoft FNO, which uh, Andy uh, has already called out that it is probably for swearing. It's a beautiful product. Okay, that's their uh, flagship product targeted for large enterprise. Uh, then you have the Business Central, which is sort of the new SMB product. And all of these products, Microsoft is hoping that all of the customers are probably going to be moving to Business Central, which is the sort of the, the Navision version of the cloud. And uh, that's going to be your Business Central. And then you have the SL and GP, which are still... They are still selling, they are supporting. The end of life announcement is until 2028, if I recall correctly. And we are going it was to- 20, It's 28, that's correct, Sam. And there is a chance that Microsoft ends up extending that. There is a very strong chance. And the reason for that is because the kind of community these products have, they are very strong. People who are on GP, they absolutely love that product. People who are on SL, they also love that product. Strong following. Very strong. Yeah. I mean, the Microsoft Business Central is great, but there are two aspects. Number one, the cloud is very different experience in general when you have all, always operated on the on-prem experience. The cloud experience feel a little, it's going to have a little bit of friction. Let me put it in the right, <laughs> right uh, wording there. So yeah, so number one, the cloud is going to have the friction. And the way Microsoft approaches cloud and their user interface is very different as well. And that is going to have the similar feeling as you are going to switch. And I don't know if you guys are using Windows 11 yet. Okay, Windows 11 is probably following the same set of streamlining the number of clicks you are going to have. And that is going to feel very layered in general. So there are always pros and cons where layered architecture is going to make sense and where it is not going to make sense. So there is a little bit of switchover effect overall in the way uh, you know people think it works. So the people who are going to be on Business Central, they might like it a lot. But that's going to be a little change in terms of the way Business Central product. So overall, I guess that's the brief about SL. I can take some comment, Phil, Andy, if you guys have anything to add. Do you think we're migrating some of the functionality of SL, for example, into Business Central, for example, project-centric functionality? It seems that way. So Andy, my perception of most Microsoft products is going to be they all have very strong project-centric. Okay, mm. That's my understanding. Majority of them, Business Central has very strong project management. FNO has very strong project management in general. Now, SL used to have a lot of unique, unique flavors that you are going to find in the products that are going to be targeted for construction, construction professional services, and the architectural firms. And some of those nuances are going to be, number one, the multi-entity architecture. Okay, so when you talk about the, the multi-entity, you are probably thinking about very large products. But in this particular space, when you talk about businesses such as oil and gas, energy, construction, Okay, all of these businesses are not going to be as transactional as your retail manufacturing. So their transaction volume is going to be low, but the number of entities that they are going to have are going to be far greater. So overall, from the business complexity perspective, they are not as complex, but their financial complexity is going to be far more. And that's why the architecture that products like, uh, if you look at the architecture of Sage Intact, if you look at architecture of Deltec, it's very different. And that's probably the reason why Delta can work with Fortune 100 companies. Okay. The product architecture is not strong. The only thing that is really strong in that product is going to be the financial aspect, the way uh, your construction companies are going to be doing the finance, the way your government contractors are going to be doing, the way your project centric companies are going to be doing. There's another point, Andy, about this particular product. So in the SL, and I was looking at the D features. So when I'm looking at government contracting product, when I review, let's say, Deltec or any other, uh, any of those products, then my uh, assumption is going to be, I am going to be finding very deep down for those industries. Surprisingly enough, for SL, it does not exist. Okay. And in fact, Microsoft actually made a comment 
that majority of the SL installations have very thick partner-built add-ons, and that's why you have such a strong affinity towards the SL product. Now, Business Central, that's the hope of Microsoft that even on Business Central, uh, you know, these, these partners are probably going to be developing the similar functionality, but it's much harder on that product in my mind than, you know, doing something on SL, especially for these industries, because you need that underlying data model that is going to be aligned to these industries. And that's where I see the challenge that SL may still exist even in the future, because these industries are very different unless Microsoft is simply trying to move away from this indu- these industries, which is a possibility, but I don't know. Yeah, I'd I, I echo and add a, a little bit here. I'm glad you hit the multi-entity because the strong accounting and multi-entity does seem to be a real a real strength. And then and then the um, kind of the, the tip of the hat to legacy systems, and there's so much energy and discussion on the on the new cloud systems. But these legacy systems have some very good functionality. They're 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 very solid, and the functionality has been proven out for these types of verticals over a long period of time. I think that's where the loyalty comes from. And I do think Microsoft is trying to build in, you know, all of their products into their overall Microsoft uh, ecosystem which may support why, excuse me, <clears throat> why this is going to be around maybe longer than 28 because it has a, a very strong customer base and they can continue to build it into their overall ecosystem in the Dynamics uh, family, if you will. Um, so the problem with legacy is out, even if they extend past 28, the, if, as if I'm a owner of this or a user of this, what have you, is they're not investing in it. So what you get is what you got. And if you have something that you really think could have some more functionality and you'll see it in some of the reviews at the end tonight, you know, it's interesting. You're hearing people from 2016, from 2018 saying, boy, this would be great if it would do this. And it's not a huge ask. It it ain't coming, guys. (laughs) They're not investing in this. They may maintain it. They may keep it. They may add some more you know, good things around it, but they're probably not going to add fun. Great points. Um, okay. If you guys don't have anything else to add, then uh, I'll move to the slides. And here we have some of the commentary. So this is the C5 product that we are talking about, and they all have the similar deadline uh, for the migration. They are in 2028. Uh, all of them are probably going to be retiring around the same time. Uh, uh, GP is a different product than SL. Uh, there's a chance that GP might not have as a strong future uh, as SL because SL targets very different industries uh, than what uh, your Microsoft Business Central is going to target. So in my mind, GP and NAV are very duplicate products, uh, but SL is not. SL is a very different product. Um, but that's the sort of history about this particular product. And by the way, MEC, uh, this is where the name is coming from. And you were mentioning Solomon's uh, roots go back more than 35 years ago. So obviously, this is a very old and legacy product. Microsoft has done a lot of work overall in the product as well as aligning the, uh, the, the marketing as well. I mean, at this point of time, if you look at the product, it does look very legacy. Uh, it's not re-architected for cloud. The way NAV uh, or your Microsoft Business Central uh, has been re-architected. So it is going to have very similar feeling as your GP that you are probably going to be looking at the on-prem product. Now, if Microsoft changes its plan of the end of uh, this, uh, the lifecycle end date, then they would probably plan to re-architect that as well. But so far, I don't think we have seen the announcement. The Microsoft is still covering this product. We have seen the demos from Microsoft back in 2021, where the product manager is trying to demonstrate SL capabilities. So obviously they are trying to sell, they are not just trying to support. So right now Microsoft is selling, but I don't know how committed Microsoft is going to be on this part. Okay, so again, I am always looking for those specific things about the the product and where it is going to be the right fit. So obviously a lot of material that uh, we are reviewing on this slide is coming from marketing, but then we are going to validate that on the slides as well on the, the screens if the functionality is going to exist on screens. So here they are saying construction, government contracting. So in their marketing documentation, they are trying to claim that these are the industries that this product targets. So they are saying get the solution you need for improved sales, 
project management, job costing, material management, and more. So all of these features are going to come across as if your GP can do it. Your manufacturing is probably going to require all of this as well. So what's so different about SL? So again, we are going to look at how their charts of, chart of accounts are going to be structured, how their sub-accounts are structured, how this whole multi-entity functionality works, especially in the construction and project space that's slightly different than your uh, product-centric companies. The government contracting, again, the way the marketing material reads, it has nothing specific about what these industries require. If you review the same marketing material for either Dell Tech or Sage Intech, you are probably fine deeper layers of what these industries are going to require. So in this particular case, the only thing you are going to get as a customer is probably going to be data model that is going to be friendlier with this these industries. You are not going to get the unique functionality that your micro industry is going to require. So that's the key point to draw overall when you review this solution. So here in the case of government contracting, you are saying complete projects on time, on budget to specification, Again, I just don't know what is so different about in, in this language when you look at the government contracting business versus any other projects. And so again, the marketing material is not really specific to this industry. And the reason why it is not specific is because the SL as a solution does not have that function. You are probably going to be using the partner add-on on top of that. And you are going to feel that SL has very deep functionality for your industry, but you will not see that in the solution itself. Uh, professional services, the same thing, drive better decision-making, manage people, finances, you know, boilerplate. I don't see any difference, you know, <laughs> when you look at this. But when you compare the professional services, for example, let's say if you're talking about marketing agencies, they are going to have very different. When you talk about design-centric professional services, they are going to have very different needs. When you talk about R&D-centric professional services, they are going to have very different needs. When you talk about architectural or the construction specific professional services companies, they are also going to have very different needs. But it can, again, it's a very generalized data model, but you are not going to see all of those layers for those specific verticals. And, and Sam, I got to say, I'm a bit surprised by that because of their reputation in those verticals. And like you say, maybe it's just really, maybe the add-ons just are are, are, are really good and, and, and tailored to this. I don't know. I don't know how they don't have that depth of functionality yet they have this type of following in those verticals. Yeah, Phil, and just going back to the overall strategy that Microsoft follows, Microsoft is a very technical company okay, in general, the way they are targeting marketing, the way they are commercializing products. Their goal is to provide the platform so that other companies can build the industry's functionality on top of their platform. So this is no different. I mean, even though they are saying that I'm targeting these industries, so what Microsoft is saying, I will give you the data model that is going to be compliant for this industry, these industries so that you don't fail with the ERP implementation, but you still have to develop it yourself. That makes sense. Here, so when you look at the, the feature set, I mean, the feature set are going to appear as if, you know, if you compare GP versus SL, you are not going to find a lot of differences to be honest, okay? The differences are going to be the way your billing is done, the way your revenue recognition is done, okay? That's where the real difference is in the project-centric industries. But even in case of GP, they are going to claim that I can work for project-centric industries. But when you look at those deep layers of revenue, the kind of you know allocation method that you are going to require when you have a project-centric industry, it gets really deep. So that's where products such as GP or NAV are probably going to fall short. And this is where products such as SL really shines. And that's why construction government contracting, they have very different ERP solutions in general in the market. So here, number one thing you are going to notice is flexible billing, okay? And the flexible billing is very, very, very deep and different. And SL can support that. This flexible billing is, you are probably not going to find this as deep in the other mid-market solution. FNO may have that because FNO is an enterprise product and Obviously, you know, that is designed to cover most business models, most uh, industries. But if you compare this with NAV, I don't think NAV is going to as deep billing functionality as your SLS. Then you have things such as project controller. And project controller is a very deep <laughs> workflow that the kind of, you know, job the project controller needs to do. Overall, if you look at the life cycle of the project, oh my goodness, it's a nightmare to dig into, to trace all of these transactions to find out where the costs are coming from and why you are not able to place all of those layers that your project is, is going to have. So project controller is a big, you know, that's a very 
B functionality that a solution is going to require when you are targeting project center. Then project allocator, again, if you go to industries such as oil and gas that are going to be very project centric as well, uh, oil and gas and energy, the way they operate for each of the project, they for each of the assignment, let me not call it project, I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm using way too much project here. But each of the contract they are going to sign is going to be a project and a project is probably going to be an individual entity. And the reason why they structure that as entity is when you are taking these massive projects, there is a very high chance that those projects are going to fail. And if one project fails, obviously you don't want to have impact on other entities. So that's why they structure, let's say, 80, 200 entities. Uh, sometimes it could be 3,000 entities in, in that business model. So obviously these things get very, very, very deep the way they operate overall. So that's where your project allocation functionality is going to be very useful. And sometimes you are doing the project that is going to sort of utilize multiple entities the way your entities might be structured. So again, the project has very deep layer in how it interacts with the other financial uh, data model in the office. Does uh, Solomon include work breakdown structures? They have to. Uh, they have to. You would think so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, mean, I just don't see it listed anywhere. No, so they do integrate with the Microsoft project, and that is listed, and you are going to see it somewhere. So most of the companies that are going to be utilizing Microsoft solution, they are probably going to be utilizing the Microsoft project functionality. Even the other ERP system, they typically prefer that, you know what, ERP is great, but give me Microsoft project. <laughs> because as the project manager, you know, I cannot deal with the, the ERP. So Microsoft project is definitely going to be integrated. Pro, Microsoft project is always an excellent tool communicating with customers anyways, because they're usually very familiar with it. Um, you were mentioning, and we were comparing this a few times to the EP and the NAV product uh, on a project level. I'm pretty sure SL has percent complete revenue recognition. Does GP and NAV have that too? Or, or no, I'm, I'm sorry, Business Central? So don't quote me on this, but no, percent complete. We're not recording this. <laughs> right? We are not recording it at all. Right, Andy? Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so percentage recognition, right? When you look at the different projects in different industries, for example, the way projects are going to be in construction, the way projects are going to be in the architectures, the way projects are going to be in manufacturing, all of them are probably going to have the requirement of percentage completion, but the way percentage completion works in construction, for example, in the case of construction, the percentage completion is going to be based on percentage of the cost. Okay, that may not be applicable for the other manufacturer. So the formula is different. The way it works, the way the process works is going to be slightly mm -hmm. different as well. So I think all of them are going to be supporting the percentage completion, but how percentage completion is going to work is going to be different across. So it's possibly a different flavor, but yeah. And, and yeah. it's also, the, this is mentioned in some comments in later slides that there's some holes in the way that they're connecting the percent completion to forecasting dollars and what's left, you know, so that, so they're, I, I think they're doing a flavor of that, but to Sam's point, based on the, based on the reviews, there's some real holes in tying it off to the financial. So it's usable. So for the cash flow side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly guys. So moving right along. So here you are going to see some more flavors that are going to be very applicable in these industries, which is going to be your contract management and the contract management functionality may not be as deep. Let's say if you talk about Microsoft GP, because those uh, industries may not really utilize the contract management, but in these industries, the contract management is going to be very deep and very thick the way the contract is going to work. Um, and uh, then you have the resource management, the equipment maintenance, business central. I am not too sure how strong it is going to be in field services. Uh, my understanding is going to be business central is probably going to be leaning on their field services add-on that Microsoft sells. So Microsoft also likes to commercialize their CRM as well as the field services. Okay, that typically integrates with your FNO as well as your business central. So, you know, so whether it's you are not, on business central. Not built in. Well, so it is definitely very deeply integrated from the data perspective. Sure, so you okay. are not going to feel any difference uh, with the like integration. A party product. Okay. Yeah. So the experience may be slightly different overall from the user experience perspective because the products are different. They might have different life cycle. They might have different licensing. But overall, from the integration perspective, you might not feel any issues because Microsoft is providing the integration out of the box 
at the database level okay so typically when the products are going to be integrated from the database perspective the integration is going to be for slicker for smoother when they are going to be integrated from the service layer okay the products are going to have far more issues so microsoft integrations are the best because they are integrated using the common data. They have one of the best integration across their product in general in the cloud footprint. So I would not call them out on the integration itself, but the way the, the products are structured, they are slightly different. But overall, when you look at the field services, even in the case of field services functionality, it differs a lot across industry. Okay, the asset management, the equipment maintenance functionality, that also differs across industries. So what may be called equipment maintenance in one industry may not be applicable for the other. So you need to really pay attention to, you know, how the life cycle of your equipment is and what the kind of data fields you are going to be needing to maintain that life cycle. Okay, but overall, uh, if you look at things like flat rate pricing, very interesting piece of functionality. Never seen it anywhere, anywhere else. I mean, this is the first sign that I'm seeing. Okay, so this is very service-centric functionality. Okay, and most likely, I don't know if IFS is going to have, but my guess is going to be probably IFS would be able to support that. So this is going to be when you are on the field and you are trying to sell your catalog and this catalog is going to be based on the service and they are able to charge fixed cost for that service, which is very interesting piece of functionality. The way your subscription-based business model works and the way flat rate pricing is going to marry <laughs> with these service offerings and the service performance and the service content. So I absolutely love that. And that's the key piece of functionality that these industries are going to probably require. And I really don't believe that NAV is probably ever going to get that, okay? So you definitely need to get an add-on uh, if you want that functionality. Then uh, you have, what else do I have? Project budgeting, service contract, service dispatch. Yes. Yeah, uh, time and expense you might find in most ERPs. That's that not right? very unique. Yeah, yeah. The processes may be slightly different, but for the most part, time and expenses is very generic in most ERPs. Uh, payroll is, though. That's That one's surprising. Sorry, which payroll? Halfway down that bottom left one. Yeah, I bet, I, that one surprised me. I mean, it just as as something just right out of the gate, out of the cart, typically, I mean, unless unless you're going with a bigger system, typically you got a third-party payroll. You're pulling in some data that you need. So, Phil, one of the comments that I got from construction, to be honest, the way payroll works in construction-centric industry is very different, okay? So if you're going to be using a third-party add-on, then when you have to comply with those unions and when you have to do the reporting for those, it becomes very hard. So that's why most construction solutions offer a role as part of their offering. In fact, if you look at Acumatica, Acumatica started offering payroll. They never wanted to be a payroll company and they joke about it, that nobody wants to develop payroll in 2020. But when you are selling in construction, <laughs> you probably need to uh, have that. Well, that, that's a really good comment. I learned something. That is, that's interesting. Yeah, but one thing to note overall about the payroll, when you look at any ERP system, most ERP systems are going to claim that they probably have payroll, but for the most part, the payroll is really not as good uh, when you look at the ERP payroll functionality. For the most part, most companies are going to be utilizing a third-party payroll. They are designed for that function. Yep, that was my that was my point for catching it. Is that's that looked unusual to me? Exactly, exactly. Uh, all right, guys, moving right along. So, okay, so you are going to get very interesting piece of functionality such as e-commerce connector, inventory, inventory replenishment, okay, order management, uh, you know, purchase requisition, shipping management. Guys, this is a huge red flag, okay? So obviously, the solution is not designed for retail industry. So here, when you look at this e-commerce functionality and the supply chain functionality, you are looking at something similar to Apico or Flip. Okay, Apico does not like to position themselves in retail and e-commerce functionality. But when you look at this functionality, you're going to be so excited that maybe this can work for e-commerce. That's not true. Okay, so this is the e-commerce for those construction companies. Let's say if they want to have the service packages as part of their offering. So make sure you are paying attention to those fine lines. The way the functionality is worded, it can be very misleading. Obviously, ERP companies are not going to say if you are going to tell them, hey, I want to buy SL. They are not going to say no, but you need to understand what you are buying. Okay. In contract management as well, we have some very deep layers here that I found interesting. So here you are talking about document tracking, subcontractor disbursements could be very tricky. And we saw this piece of functionality. I don't know whether you guys remember this or not. Oracle had a product for their time and expense. And that time and expense was designed for the construction industry. So the way the subcontractor functionality works, 
in the construction industry, when you look at that enterprise level functionality, the way the collaboration work with the vendors, it gets very, very, very deep. And subcontracted disbursement is going to be part of that. And SL seems to have that piece. Okay, the project allocator is very interesting as well. So here they are saying creating flexible multi-tiered hierarchies to reflect the spectrum of labor rates and billing structures. So when you talk about labor rates and the billing structure, both, both could be very, very, very deep. The way the billing structures work, uh, you know, across the life cycle of the project, sometimes they might not have any rules whatsoever. <laughs> okay, the way these projects might be structured and that calculation becomes very complex, how those allocations are going to be and how those joint ventures are going to be if you have any sort of joint venture billing that you need to have. But in these industries, you are going to see a lot of that flavor as well. When it says the spectrum of labor rates, does that mean that there's different cost centers? Or does that mean labor rates that, that escalate over a period of time? So I believe the way it is positioned right now, I like to call this as the depth of the data model and depth of the charity. I think that's what they are trying to describe when they say multi-tiered hierarchies to reflect the spectrum of labor rates means the number of labor rates that you need to support. You could literally have a menu the way your vendor catalogs are going to be, and they could have their own algorithm for each of the labor rates. So the way the whole calculation work could get very common. In my opinion, that's what they are saying. Phil, I don't know if you have any commentary there. Obviously, yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking of that as if so. So if you're doing a if you're doing a, a job in Chicago versus doing a job in Albuquerque, New Mexico, your mm. your your contract in Chicago is going to require you to pay and prove that you're paying a union wage, whether or not you're using union people. And then Albuquerque, they may not care. So, so the and nothing against Albuquerque or Chicago, just examples. But, uh, but so I think those. That's when I read it. I read it. Okay, in a particular project, you're going to have to manage what's required as far as you paying the rates, and that's from billing through project or from uh, bidding through project. Could not agree more. Thanks for those insights. Yeah, I was just curious if if some of these project centric systems will allow you to escalate the labor costs like over, if it's over multiple year ends so they'll escalate the labor costs throughout the three-year project or whatever the case but that's not what this is. yeah i it may it, it may be that's some pretty deep functionality in itself but it, it may be that they allow you to do that that you know if you're bidding a, a long-term project and you have an escalation clause that you can work mm. that in but i did i read this as just the labor rates given all the different projects you might be doing in all your different locations Thanks. yeah great uh, analysis there so much Okay, um, so we are going to be talking about flat rate pricing. And again, I love this piece of functionality. This is very unique. And anything that I find unique in any ERP system, that's what I love most. You guys know me. Uh, you know, so here we are saying that, okay, flat rate pricing process, the standard in, in more services industries every day is now easier than ever. With Microsoft Dynamics SL flat rate pricing, you can stop purchasing expensive flat rate books from an outside publisher and enable your technicians to give on the spot printed price quotes on specific services from your pricing catalog. Phil, uh, any more insights there? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that, I'm not an expert on this, but I, but I, but I, I I've seen it. I, I've seen how it works. And that is a really cool efficiency gain right there. Where, where it's, it's, you know, you're still using flat rate pricing, but you're not having to manage manually, basically, or you talk about legacy paper based pricing things so that your guys can quote. There's apps that'll take that and allow you to produce a quote, but this ties right off to the ERP. Yeah, could not agree more. And I have personally not seen this implemented in any industry that we have worked so far. But if this is going to be part of your business model, make sure your ERP has that because it's going to be really hard to pull that off if you are including either into planning to include that as part of your business model or you already have that as part of your business model. It might be very hard to pull that off if you go outside of your ERP. So, uh, so pardon me for asking a naive question, but flat rate pricing, does that just mean fixed bid or what does that mean? It's definitely more than that. Uh, you know, the fixed bid is probably going to be part of your, the billing, I don't remember the term, that the, the different billing arrangements. So that would be part of that. But this one is going to be, it's almost like your offering, the subscription-based offering that you have. And that's my understanding of the service-based offering that are going to be subscription-based. But then you want to give them as flat rate is what this is in my understanding. 
Right. So I and notice they're they're referencing technicians. So this this is this example is imagining a technician standing there and saying, okay, exactly. But uh, you you want to do this, this, and this. What is what is your base rate per hour to do those things? And so he looks in his guy and he says, okay, that it's X dollars, that it's X dollars. Okay, that's fine. But then he has to offer a bid. So at that point, it gets manual. And because that's paper-based, and that's why I say there's some apps, that, if I'm understanding this functionality correct, there's apps that allow you to do that on a pad or something. But in the paper-based or in the pad, you're not connected to your ERP so that you can have that be as dynamic as you want. And you can have that be directly tied that you're booking and charging what actually the technician in this example told the client they were going to get billed at. I am so lucky to have such brilliant individuals on this panel along with myself. It has to be the brilliant pitch right there, right? It has to be a brilliant show today. (laughs) Turn the overhead lights up and there will be brilliance. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Okay, so let's continue our brilliant uh, commentary here. Okay, so here we are talking about contracts before a technician is dispatched to a site. The customer service rep will be alerted to any active contracts. So obviously, the whole contract functionality is going to be very deep in this industry as well. But you can find that in a lot of different ERP systems, that is probably going to have the service-centric functionality. Service dispatch gets very deep. I don't know how deep it is going to be in SL, but they seem to have very deep functionality. In these industries, you are probably going to find that a lot. Now, now even they are going to claim that they have bill of material and work order. Okay, it's not designed for manufacturing, guys. Okay, this is not supposed to be manufacturing. This is. I've, to talk, be- I've talked to manufacturers that use it for all kinds of reasons, right? Obviously, because it says <laughs> they do it. And typically, Andy, based on my taste, I'm not interested in knowing about those reasons, to be honest, because you know. <laughs> Those reasons are going to be, they are not as scientific as I like to be in my approach to me, okay? <laughs> a little misleading. Uh, 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 brilliant, brilliant uh, is what I'm going to use there. <laughs> All right, guys, so this bill of material is going to be for industries that are going to be, for example, let's say if you are in the trade booth or the trade show in, uh, and you are more of the professional services and you are trying to manufacture as part of your arrangement, that's where this bill of material functionality is going to be handy. Now, there could be a little overlap there in the, I would not say this is really engineered to order, but the architectural firms may be sort of there, but there is always very significant overlap, I would say. When you look at the engineer to order versus architectural firms versus construction versus the professional services, it's very, very, very hard to find in that business model what is going to be. So be really, really careful. But all of those industries are probably going to require some sort of bill of material as well as work order. But again, this is not pure play management. Maybe more for engineering service type company? Exactly. You're right. Okay. So now let's look at some of these screens. And here we are talking about the account, sub-account maintenance. So you are going to see very deep layers of sub-account functionality. Okay. The way the whole sub-account functionality works. And in these industry, you are also going to find very deep approval flows. The way your costs are going to be approved, the way your projects are going to be, the way every single task is going to be approved, the way your billing rates are going to be approved. So your approval has very thick workflow. Overall, whether you talk about procurement to your, your finance or you talk about your estimation to your finance or project management to to finance. So all of those processes are very embedded and you have to have approval at every stage. And that's why it gets, the finance gets really deep uh, in this particular space. Here, we are also talking about validation and the validations get really deep as well. So here we are talking about doing the validation at the account and sub-account level. What you can post at the account and sub-account level. Now, this is the piece of functionality. I'm pretty sure SAT can support but I have personally not seen that, so I don't know. But it gets really deep when you have those approval flows, and that has to be at the ledger level. What can be posted, what cannot be posted, because it becomes extremely hard when you are doing the finance for these companies, and you need to be slightly more organized and in light with your finance. Otherwise, it becomes... We have some more things that we have seen that is very interesting piece of functionality. For example, for how many years you are going to be retaining the GL balances so far, I don't think we have seen that anywhere else. So this is very interesting. And then they have the multi-entity functionality and the multi-entity functionality also has the centralized cash processing, which is much deeper, much more difficult. And you are going to probably find that in Sage Intact, Dell Tech. Other than that, I don't know if any other 
ERP systems are going to support, especially in the SMB space, the large systems are probably going to happen. Then we have the allocation rules and typically the allocation rules are going to be way deeper. Okay, in general, I don't know how deep SL generally is for the allocation rules, but if you are very deep in your allocation functionality and you are in these industries, make sure you review all of that because that is probably critical for your industry. Then we have the project and task and date validation. Now, this is a very interesting piece of functionality that you are probably not going to find in your Microsoft GP. I don't know if that has that, but this is going to be required when you have to have your tight traceability of your project. So this is where the controlled financial processes are going to be handy in this particular space. When you talk about construction government contract, when you talk about these engineering services firms, they are probably going to be requiring a lot of that because again, their finance is, is very deep uh, overall in terms of the approval flow and the way their finance works. Okay, so some reviews here and the review, the number one review is coming from not-for-profit. Uh, not-for-profit, again, I'm not too sure if the solution is going to be the right fit, to be honest. Even though it might be able to do a lot of things from the not-for-profit perspective, but again, the solution is not really targeted for that. So in this particular case, this is the 51 to 200 employees company, and they are saying, we currently use Dynamics SL as our sole accounting software. They are using it for accounting, but again, it is not really designed for that industry. It is saying only people within the accounting department so if any of the ERP, if you are going to be using only for accounting, it doesn't matter as much. The complexity always is going to be in the operation. So again, in their case, it might not be as much of a problem, but not-for-profit has very different accounting as well. So, and they found the challenge with that. So in their case, they are saying Dynamics is definitely, and by the way, they are calling out the whole Dynamics family. That's not true at all. So in this particular case, we are talking about SL, which is a very specific solution. So SL is designed for, manufacturing which is not right or a smaller companies who is looking to transition to to microsoft products so i think the the comment is really for all microsoft dynamics products but in this particular case this solution is not really designed for manufacturing then the user is saying there are project and allocation features that may work well with companies who have cost allocation that's right and that is going to be your construction uh, your engineering services companies however that also depends on the reporting needs and how robust of an allocation the program is not very appropriate for not-for-profit account and that's what i am trying to say because in not-for-profit you are going to have grant accounting fund accounting you don't have all of that in sl you are going to find that in gp so this solution is not fit for not-for-profit they have used it and that's why they are probably struggling with it then the user is saying any organization that require complex reporting structure should also look at other software that has much robust reporting features. Now, when we compared the reporting capabilities of GP, the GP had very deep reporting capability. SL, for some reason, has very lean reporting cap. <laughs> I don't know why that is. That that did not make any sense when I looked at this. Because when you have such deep financial layer, then you are probably going to be requiring 500 reports. But in their case, they probably have less than 50. So, which is a you know shock for me that SL does not have out of the box financial report. Now, the what I thought on that one, Sam, was that you know they're they're probably using crystal reports or something like that in order to pull pull stuff out. So it's so it's not advanced or or a more modern type of methodology or BI or being able to drag and drop your your reports and then dump them into a, a spreadsheet or whatever you're doing. So maybe it's just that that's part of the legacy that hasn't been upgraded, if you will. So there are two layers to that comment. Well, number one, the technology obviously is outdated and that we are going to see in some of the other reviews. That's number one. But the out-of-box report that you typically get with the ARP system so that you don't have to build it yourself, you don't have to hire a consultant to build yourself, my understanding and assumption with most Microsoft products is going to be that you are probably going to get 2,000 reports. Okay, that's how I like to see Microsoft products, okay? But in the case of SL, you have less than 50 out of the box. Okay, so SL, for some reason, it's a very different product in general. Now, here they are saying, uh, you know, this is the professional services company. By the way, this professional services is the construction. And here they have 500 to 1,000 employees, which is a much larger company. But, you know, for these companies, the solution may work, even though the solution is very small, because these companies are not as operationally complex as your product and so here they are saying purchasing does not have the budget validation to warn or stop a purchase from going over budget on a project level so now we were thinking that you know what it has really deep approval flow but when you talk about the procurement approval it does not have that 
So that's a red flag for me that you probably require these features for the procurement as well. So again, for that, probably you are going to be now here. They are saying project budgeting does not have an interface with inventory. These the integration. So this is where GP is probably going to have this ND. So when you talk about the integration of your inventory with your project, GP is probably going to have that because this is designed for more of the services companies that is designed for more of the project centric companies. So that's where the integration is going to be. Okay, so that's really a differentiation is projects as far as service organizing. Exactly, exactly. But, I mean, why else would they not integrate the part numbers, right? That seems pretty basic. Exactly. And service-centric organizations could mean a lot of different things as well. <laughs> service, <laughs> pretty... service, service organizations that don't need inventory control. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so we have some more companies here. So we are talking about construction, power, team services. And this one also has roughly 500,000 employees. So here, project and crew-based cost accounting in one of our utility contracting companies and are in the process of rolling out the system to another one of our largest companies. The holding company will deploy Dynamics SL as their ERP system. They are saying provides flexibility for complex project-based accounting, which is right. A flexible billing module under the project controller series that allows for multiple billings format. Okay, so that's where the real strength is, ranging from fixed price, schedule of values, TNM, cost plus, scheduled billing, but a lot of that could be very common in case of your GP as well. Here are some of the red flags, and this is a very specific piece of functionality. So here they are saying improve the forecasting capabilities to include more robust and integrated tie into the project, and this is estimate at completion, estimate to complete numbers. And again, that this gets very specific. Okay, so they don't have all of that. So typically, probably this is going to be more applicable in your construction-centric solutions. You are probably going to find this functionality in your Dell Tech, maybe Sage Tech. I don't know. <laughs> but and this, they was, don't. this was the comment I was referencing before that that they were they were pointing at some holes as far as their their percent completion comment in that bullet. And this is a customer who loves the software too. Right. This customer is all in and they're implementing and, you know, they're and then they and they had that comment. So that gives that comment some. Exactly, guys. Exactly. So here I don't see anything else unless you guys are seeing anything here on this one. Let's say if we have here, they are saying we have seven individual corporations operating in a single database. So, again, that's the multi-entity functionality. There is a single repository of shared information. So, you know, that it's working there. The fuel service module is not multi-currency compliant. Can you believe this, guys? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so it gets really deep, guys, the way these things work. Again, unless you are doing this analysis at the field level, you might miss out substantial functionality in selecting ERP. So, guys, be careful is what I can say. Like That's pretty much it, I guess, from the presentation. The comment about FRX is interesting because that's, in the past, in years gone by, FRX is a very popular add-on to many ERPs for financial reporting. Exactly. Uh, Phil? Yeah, so it's a good show tonight, uh, Sam. And uh, I, I, I still think there's a real strong place for these legacy systems. And I think that, you know, with all the drive to the cloud and all the drive to move all this functionality, I know that's the direction it's going. There's still a place for that. And, <laughs> and, and I'll say I think it's kind of a shame that these companies are not investing in software that has a real popular base, customer base and continuing to make it so that it's a solid feature-rich uh, package for these guys instead of always trying to move them to something else. Um, I, I, I just think that some of that doesn't sound right. And this particular one, pretty in the right customer, we say this every week, the right customer, be careful of your detail analysis of functionality. This has some, this has some real positives. Well, the comment that Andrew's asking about uh, would you say the types of industries are typically using a solution of slower cloud adoption? Yes, no question about that. But it has a lot more. It's a lot deeper than that, though. I think you know these companies. First off, migrating from any system to any system, a bear. Everyone hates to do that. And the system that you have meets your needs functionally. Technology or cloud adoption or deployment is really secondary. They really want to have the system that works. And they don't want to have to gamble on something else that's newer. Um, so, okay. So I think, I, Andy, I'm actually going to agree with your assessment there, uh, the point that you mentioned that, uh, you know, the technology and cloud is the last thing that you want to worry about. You are absolutely right. Functionally, from the data model perspective, these things get 
really deep. So that is the first thing that you really want to worry about. And I don't know, Phil, you are going to have anything to add there on that comment. And then this comment probably. Yeah. And, and I, I did give Andrew some feedback. He, he's been placing these. I think, you know, I, I think that's, that's possible. You know, what he's saying per square foot is, is I'm not, I'm not positive, but I think it's the, from a functionality standpoint, it's very similar box of functionality is you have something very specific that you want to be able to tie directly to your EV as far as rate. Okay. Amazing. Andy, you have any more brilliance plugs there uh, that we, you may want to cover before we end the show? Not too much. I mean, I think we've pretty much exhausted my, uh, my knowledge, but I mean, like I mentioned, I have talked to companies that are using Solomon or SL in a manufacturing environment. And, you know, sometimes people will read the brochure or, or fall in love with the demo and not really understand what the limitations are or what it is they're actually showing you it can do. You see the name work order, bill of material, and they sign the check. Yeah, and I think that's, the, that's such an important lesson for all of these. And this and this particular industry could could do a better job, but then there wouldn't be the need for panels like this. So you know that's got <laughs> brilliant that. panels like this. Uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So, so I thought yeah, I thought we had pounded that nail to death, to be honest with you. But but but, but you know, there's a lane for these. There's a really good piece Absolutely. of user. You know, it's interesting they didn't have the currency when they have the multi-entity thing really nailed down. Yeah, uh, but there's going to be add-ons and there's going to be gaps in functionality. And I would just encourage everybody, as we have so many times on this series, you know, take a breath. You don't have to make your decision and lean forward into, you know, you got to sign, you got to, you know, you see your demo and let's go. You're going to have plenty of time to live with this package. Take some extra time and learn what the heck you're buying and get some independent folks to, to walk you through what maybe some comparable softwares are around what you think that you really want to choose. And I, from personal experience, I've had several clients now where they had kind of already made up their mind on something and we were able to say, just slow down, just take a real careful look. And sure enough, when they landed, they landed on something else and mm -hmm. ended up much happier about it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story, then we'll let it all go. Uh, I'm not going to name the ERP package, but I was involved with a company in, I think, Montana at one time. And uh, they love the, the software presentation I gave them, but they love the competitor as well. And they called me up and they said, Andy, the competitor's offering me 80% off. Will you match it? I said, no way. I said, how much does your company? Uh, first off, I mean, we all know a manufacturer discounts two or 3%. Sure enough, the guy bought that software two years later, he bought for me at full price. So going back to the, you know, your comment, Phil, it, 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 you know, how often do you hear about the special price if you buy by Friday. Ignore those. Because I mean, penny shy, I mean, you'll be paying for it for the rest of your life if you buy the wrong. You're not going to be and, saving a little bit. You're and, be and, and, and every everybody's going to give you some final good negotiation. I mean, the software is there. You know, it is there. The licensing is no, there. And, and, they're, and they're always going to tell you, oh, you killed me. You gave me the best deal ever. I had to cut my commission. You're going to get that at the end of every buy, you know, but, but to your point, I mean, cost of ownership is very important, but the most oh, yeah. the most costly decision you make is not getting the right match to your business. That's Absolutely where you're right. going to spend. Could not agree more, guys. Uh, great commentary, and that's a wrap for our brilliant show. And uh, unless you have brilliant people on your side, make sure you are going to hire somebody who's going to be more brilliant than you to be able to assess the system. On that note, that's it for today. Uh, if you joined for the first time, this was part of our industry series for which we meet every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern. Uh, and then we pick one vendor or the solution that we review independently and we always have an excellent panel. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with uh, another vendor or the solution. On that note, thanks everyone for your time and insight tonight. Thanks everybody. Have a great day. Have a good one. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about ND Pratico, head over to essoft.com. It's essoft.com. If you want to learn more about Phil Kerper, head over to ringlingbusinesssolutions.com. It's R-I-N-G-L-I-N-G-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes 
including the interview with Phil Kerper, who shares his insights into executing on DTC strategy. Also, the interview with Bahadir Ardam, who shares his insights into the supply chain issues and processes for construction, building material, and roofing industries. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.